Well, friends, today on Walk in Truth, we start a new study in the exciting book of Revelation. And the word revelation has the heart of the meaning. It's to reveal or unveil. And today, as we introduce the book, we're going to look at four different views of revelation. Talk about what people have believed over the ages and why. It's an in-depth look and an introduction to the book that I think you'll find exciting and intriguing. So put on your thinking cap and get ready to listen to an opening in the book of Revelation today on Walk in Truth. These are the teachings of Pastor Michael Lance. It's our goal to build up believers and to reach out with God's truth to all people. Before we get started with today's message, we want to let you know that this is a listener-supported ministry. Call with your gift at 844-48-TRUTH. That's 844-48-TRUTH. Now, here's Pastor Michael. The natural question when you study a book like Revelation is to ask the question, when? (laughs) Right? Isn't that the big $64,000 question? When will these things take place? All right, I'm going to give you four views of the book of Revelation I don't know if you're interested, but I think it's important that you know there are four different approaches to interpretation of the book of Revelation. Number one is the preterist view. The preterist view is called contemporary historical. If you're taking notes, preterist is number one, the approach to interpretation of the book of Revelation. It's called the contemporary historical view. As I mentioned, there are partial preterists and full preterists, but just to the point, Preterists hold that the book of Revelation was at least largely fulfilled at the fall of Jerusalem in A.D. 70. However, some preterists believe the book of Revelation also could depict the fall of Rome in A.D. 476. So that's just kind of an interesting secondary plank, I guess, and that's their view. Number two, there's a historical view. Number two, the historical view sees Revelation as a forecast of the course of history leading up to the interpreter's own time. Sketching history, for example, of Western Europe, the Reformation, the French Revolution, individual leaders such as Charlemagne and Mussolini, it's quite a subjective view, meaning it's open to much interpretation and it's highly doubtful. I think it's way too subjective And again, highly doubtful. But there are some people who are in this camp, and so it must be mentioned. Number three, and where probably a lot of you have heard most of your information in uh, in our United States, is the futurist view. The futurist view. Many futurists are called dispensationalists. Dispensationalists regard everything from Revelation 4.1 and on as belonging to a period yet future. The letters to the seven churches are often held to represent successive ages of church history that lead up to the rapture of the church. Most dispensationalists uh, hold to a pre-tribulation rapture position and believe the rapture is captured in Revelation 4.1. When we get there, I'll talk to you about the different views of the rapture. One writer says the major weakness of this position is that it leaves the book without any particular significance for those to whom it was addressed. So when you make it completely futuristic, you kind of take it out of its historical context. However, there are those in the futurist camp who hold a near-far fulfillment of the book, as I do. I believe that some of the things in the book are literally fulfilled in history past, but a good portion of the book is yet to be fulfilled. 
So you could call this a near-far fulfillment. Here's an example. When Jesus gave the sermon uh, from the Mount of Olives called the Olivet Discourse, some of the things that he said obviously were fulfilled in the fall of Jerusalem. Other things that he said are obviously going to be fulfilled in the future. Much of predictive prophecy or prophetic Futuristic interpretation has to do with near-far fulfillment. Sometimes what happens is there's a fulfillment in the life of the prophet, but a second layer and even a third layer sometimes of fulfillment that can come in the future. That's the marvel of the Bible. And to me, that just gives me more uh, grounding in terms of the fact that the Bible is uh, divine and not human in origin. I'll give you an example. John, in his time, may have saw the beast as the Roman Empire. However, I think the Roman Empire, as the beast in this sense, is simply a foreshadowing of a future beast empire. Some people say it's going to be a revived Roman Empire. When we get there, we'll talk about that a little bit more. Just like the day of the Lord is foreshadowed, for example, in the book of Joel, where there's this locust army and there's and it describes the day of the Lord. It's a day of the Lord in embryo, but the future ultimate day of the Lord is yet to be fulfilled. But sometimes you see types and shadows in prophecy or dual fulfillment. So there are some in the futurist camp who hold a near far fulfillment. I do. And that's where I would place myself. Fourth and final, there's an idealist or timeless symbolic view. Just call it the idealist view. The idealist says this, there is no specific events or historical fulfillment of the book of Revelation. It only teaches basic principles on which God acts as seen throughout history. No historical fulfillment, no futuristic fulfillment, just basic principles for life and the struggle between good and evil, light and darkness is the idealistic view. And I don't hold that, but there are folks who hold that view as timeless and symbolic. Of course, that would mean there's uh, no future age to come in terms of a literal fulfillment. New Jerusalem, Satan and his hosts will not be utterly destroyed and vanquished. There's a lot of problems with that idealistic view. And so I don't hold that. But I will say this. As you think about the different approaches to the interpreting method of the book of Revelation, you have to say that often not one method suffices. Some of, their, some of these methods of interpretation can cross over. That's why you have good scholars in different camps. And you're like, well, what should I believe? This, this guy's a preterist, and he's pretty smart. And then this guy's a futurist. Who should I believe? Well, sometimes there's elements of both interpretive models that do apply. Um, the argument, for example, that this happened during the reign of Nero, as I mentioned, that he's called the beast. There's a numeric fulfillment of his name, 666. Uh, Nero committed suicide in AD 68. But I don't think it happened during the reign of Nero. So I'm just going to tell you, I believe the book was written during the reign of Domitian. And here's what was going on at the time. There was an ever-evolving emperor worship that was happening in the Roman Empire. Now, if you're familiar with history, and as you struggle with the Bible, you get a little bit more familiar with history, and you wonder why you didn't pay more attention in high school. Can I get a witness? Because you learn about Assyria, and you learn about Babylon, you learn about Egypt, and you learn about the Greek Empire, and the Seleucid Dynasty, and all the way to the Roman Empire, and then back on up as we cross over that A.D. line. Well, Rome was the dominant power of the time. 
And so what was happening is the Roman emperors began to receive worship. Um, and there were different Roman emperors that were uh, kind of coming up at the time. One of them was Julius Caesar, who accepted worship during his life. Uh, Julius Caesar accepted worship as a god during his lifetime. Augustus was more cautious in Rome, in the city of Rome, but he sanctioned temples to himself in different provinces. Caligula was not content with voluntary worship. He demanded that his subjects everywhere do homage to his statue. By the time of Nero, the imperial cult, as it's called, was firmly established of emperor worship. And by the time of Domitian, the failure to honor the emperor as a god became a political offense and punishable. And here's why this is important. The book of Revelation is written to a people who are being persecuted. Here's an example. Skip ahead to Revelation 2, look at verse 13. As Jesus, through John, is addressing the church at Pergamum, Revelation 2.12 says, To the angel of the church in Pergamum write, the one who has the sharp two-edged sword says this, I know where you dwell. 2.13, where Satan's throne is, you hold fast my name. Did not deny my faith, even in the days of Antipas, my witness, my faithful one, who was killed among you where Satan dwells. Now, we have a record here in Revelation 2 of a man who would not deny his faith and was killed for it. People say that in the reign of Nero, there wasn't a lot of Christian persecution for what the Romans called atheism. Let me explain. The Romans called atheism anything that denied worship to their gods or their emperor. They would call you an atheist. But Christian persecution really did not become widespread in the empire until the reign of Domitian. So that's a little bit more evidence why we think that the book was written during the reign of Domitian. By the way, there's there's also a redditivist myth that came about, and it said this. It said that Nero was raised from the dead, and uh, they think that this is also captured in Revelation 13 and 17. So here's the bottom line. Nero would have had to have died and then resurrected for that to be true, and then that would also affect the dating and mean that the book would have to be dated in the reign of Domitian. But anyway, here's the the point. Widespread persecution of Christians did not seem to occur until the reign of Domitian. And so that seems to make sense that the book was written during his lifetime. If he is the guy, and uh, just a side note for those of you who are interested in church history and you're kind of wondering, you know, what's the quote from this this, uh, evidence that the book was written during his lifetime? Irenaeus, who... Is a church leader at the end of the second century. So we're talking, you know, 180s, 190s. He says, John, the apostle, beheld the apocalyptic vision toward the end of Domitian's reign. Uh, That's from Irenaeus. Um, According to tradition, John, the apostle, was eventually released from the Isle of Patmos and buried in Ephesus. The futurist view of the book of Revelation, as I mentioned, includes support from Justin Martyr, Irenaeus, Hippolytus, these were all uh, believers in the millennial reign of Christ. They held that the apocalypse foretold a literal millennial kingdom on earth to be followed by a general resurrection, judgment, and a renewal of heaven and earth. So there's, uh, in the Shepherd of Hermas, an early document that is non-canonical. That means it's not inspired, but it was very held in high repute. And it's written about the first part to the middle of the second century, mentions a coming tribulation period. 
I mention this because you'll hear people say, oh, none of the church fathers believed in a tribulation and an antichrist and a future millennium. Yes, they did. You'll hear more from Pastor Michael in a moment. Visit the Walk in Truth store today to get the Revelation DVD series by Pastor Michael Lance. The book of Revelation reveals the person and work of Jesus Christ and how he speaks to his church in words of condemnation and correction. This book will give you a unique glimpse into heaven and the worship that happens there. It also reveals the future. We see the seven-sealed scroll, the four horsemen of the apocalypse, and many other intriguing truths that expose God's plan for planet Earth, the unbelieving world, and his church. Join Michael Lance in a DVD series of this dramatic, often sobering book. Visit the Walk in Truth store today to order your copy of the DVD teaching The Mark of the Beast, The Seven Seals, and The New Heaven and New Earth. All available to help you dive deeper into the book of Revelation. Visit walkintruth.com today. That's walkintruth.com. Click on store. Now back to Pastor Michael Lance, right here on Walk in Truth you'll hear people say, oh, none of the church fathers believed in a tribulation and an antichrist and a future millennium. Yes, they did. If you want the quotes, they're in my notes right up here and I'll send them to you. So there were early church fathers who held this. And Domitian was a, one writer says, a moral catastrophe of a man. He was not terribly impressive physically, I'm quoting. He's described as being sensitive about his baldness, as having a protruding belly and spindling legs. (laughs) I had to look up spindling. I spent a lot of time on Webster's today. What does spindling legs mean? Does he do spins? Actually, it means he had a bit of chicken legs. He kind of had... Anyway, you know what I'm talking about. Well, this guy was a nut. He, he was stealing other men's wives. He, he let his brother die. His brother was on his, you know, had a terrible illness. He told nobody really to take care of him. He... Uh, he uh, buried a woman alive for, uh, you know, having a lover. He slew another person for making jokes about him, killed them. Uh, he demanded worship. He was a pretty crazy guy. And this was what the church was facing in these days. The church was facing, you know, are you going to give your allegiance to Jesus or to Caesar? And that's really still, if you think about ultimate issues and how the book of Revelation still applies to our lives today, it's about who you're going to give your allegiance to when, when it's going to cost you something. Our brothers and sisters in the Middle East are facing that right now. Where does your allegiance truly lie? The book of Revelation will encourage you to keep your eyes on Jesus who's the author and perfecter of our faith. It will tell you to keep seeking things above where Christ is seated at the right hand of God. Because when, our Christ, when Christ, our life, is revealed, then you also will be revealed with him in glory. So verse 1 says it's a revelation of Jesus Christ, and this is why you can see that we're not probably going to get to verse 8. Which God gave him to show his bondservants the things which must shortly take place. And he sent and communicated it by his angel to his bondservant, John. We'll talk about the layers of uh, uh, individuals that get this, this revelation. But here for, for a moment, let's talk about the phrase, it must shortly take place. This has bothered a lot of people. Because if you told somebody, hey, I'll be over shortly, that would mean to most people that you're going to be over in a matter of, depending on your uh, 
track record, when you say I'll be somewhere shortly, depending on how much that really means to individuals who know you best, you could say I'll be over shortly. And, and for most people that means I'll be over in a few minutes, right? The, the Greek word is interesting and it's, it's important here. It's, it's takos, T-A-C-H-O-S, or the phrase together is entekai. And here's, here's what the phrase means. It means, shortly means in a brief space of time, but the word also can mean quickly, or it can also be a synonym for suddenly. So you're going to see many times in this book, these things must happen shortly or take place shortly. Does that mean in a brief amount of time from the time the revelation is written? Well, that would depend on the date of the book, wouldn't it? And what the book is really about. Here's a thought. Why um, do you think that the churches in Asia Minor that are located in modern-day Turkey would be so concerned to know about the fall of Jerusalem? Just think about that for a second. The seven churches in Asia Minor that are addressed in the book of Revelation are in Turkey, well removed from Jerusalem. If the book of Revelation is about the fall of Jerusalem, why this urgency to get this message to churches in Asia Minor? If it's all about just the fall of Jerusalem, you see that that's a thought that you know should make us at least pause to ask a bigger question like, well, who is the intended audience of this? The word takos is where we get the word tachometer. So it's the, the Greek word from which we get the word tachometer. It's an instrument used to determine the speed of an engine. So those who, who hold a more futurist view say shortly in this sense means when it starts to happen, it will happen suddenly. We might say it this way. I'm going to come, come over to your house and do a wedding ceremony. And I might say to you, the wedding ceremony will be brief. And you'll say, yeah, right, Pastor Michael. Nothing you do is brief. <laughs> Amen. I, I'm with you. All right. But if I said to you, it'll be a brief ceremony when I get there and things start, I'm saying it's going to move with rapidity or rapidly. Okay. That's what we're talking about. We're talking about two different views. Some people say, no, it just means shortly. It just means it's going to happen quick. It's got to be in their lifetime, the audience that received this. And others say, no, what it means is when it starts, it will happen rapidly. You all know that you've heard a lot of talk about the seven years or the 70th week of Daniel. And you know that the book of Revelation focuses on those seven years. And a large portion of it is the last three and a half years. Well, that would be a rapid progression from end times events to the return of Christ and the setting up of a new Jerusalem and so forth. And so that's why there are scholars in the futurist camp who say you can't hang your hat on this word because it does, uh, you know, it can mean with rapidness. I, th I think here's where we need to show a couple of examples. Turn to Romans 16 for a second. Romans 16. Romans 16, we're going to look at verse 20 together. Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, Acts, Romans. Romans 16, look at verse 20. It says, this is a, a doxology at the end of the book. It's a moment of praise to God. And it says, the God of peace, Romans 16, 20, will soon crush Satan under your feet. The grace of the Lord Jesus or our Lord Jesus be with you. See the word soon there? That's the same word we're dealing with for shortly 
entake. It's, uh, he will soon crush Satan. Now, has, has Satan been crushed under the Lord's feet? Well, you could say, well, Jesus crushed Satan at the cross, but Romans 16 is written after the cross, right? So what does it mean he will soon crush Satan under your feet? It could mean that when he does it, it will be rapid. It will be bam. When Satan takes, puts his boxing gloves on and decides he's going to fight God, how quick will the match be? Jesus Christ is going to slay the Antichrist, 2 Thessalonians 2.8, with the appearance of his, the glory of his coming and the breath of his mouth. Bam! It's going to be a short fight. Rapid. Everybody with me? It's going to go quick. Um, since we're in the book of Revelation, skip ahead to Revelation 20. Revelation 20, look at verse 9. Satan's been released here, and they came up, Revelation 29, on the broad plain of the earth, surrounded the camp of the saints in the beloved city, and fire came down from heaven and devoured them. Would you call that rapid? I would. And the devil who deceived them was thrown into the lake of fire and brimstone, where the beast and the false prophet are also, and they will be tormented day and night forever and ever. Here's the idea of rapid. Satan will be soon crushed under your feet. When it happens, it will happen rapidly. But I'm not sure that for our preterist friends and brothers that it's a good case to be made that it means shortly or within the window of time of the original audience. One more, Luke 18. Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. Go to Luke 18. Jesus is addressing end times subject matter. Luke 18. And he says these words. Luke 18, verse 7. Luke 18, 7. He says, Now shall not God, Luke 18, 7, bring about justice for his elect who cry to him day and night, and will he delay long over them? I tell you, Luke 18, 8, that he will bring about justice for them. What's your Bible say there? Quickly or speedily. There's our word again, en tache. Speedily. However, when the Son of Man comes, context, second coming, will he find faith on the earth? Do you see that the word speedily can mean with rapidness when the event occurs? The context of Luke 18, 7 and 8 is certainly the end of the age, the return of Christ, and the same phrase is used. And so, with all due respect to our predators, Friends, back to Revelation, I would just say that that is not the best argument to hang your hat on. Although I would say it's not something to ignore. I think it is compelling, and I think you have to wrestle with it. Well, as you've probably noticed as we've done this introduction to Revelation, there's a lot of different ways to view the book. Now, I've studied this book and taught it on many occasions, and I want to encourage you to keep on listening and do your own homework so you can draw your own conclusions about the book. You know, I am passionate about my position, but I want to make sure that you are biblically persuaded and not just persuaded because I'm the one giving you the teaching at this very moment. So make sure you check it out, get into the Word of God, do your homework, and keep on listening to Walk in Truth. Well, I'm Pastor Michael Lance, and I'm very excited to let you know that Walk in Truth is not only on the radio and online, yep, you can now listen to our teachings at your leisure on your favorite podcast app. I'm talking about any app from iTunes to Spotify. So open up your favorite app, search Walk in Truth, and it's free. Please hit the subscribe or follow or whatever your app says to do. And thanks for doing it. 
This is exciting. God is so good. And we're excited to have another medium to get the Word of God out there. Now, please know that we're able to do this because of your financial giving, the giving of listeners and partners of Walk in Truth who are passionate about getting God's Word out there, taught through systematically and without apology, just unvarnished. Here it is but done with compassion as well. Now, if you're one of those who has that passion or you've already partnered with us or you'd like to in the future, we just want to say thank you to those of you who have done so. And if you're considering helping us out, we really appreciate it. We appreciate your partnership. God bless you. Now, speaking of apps, I know you hear me talk a lot about what our church, Living Truth Christian Fellowship in Corona, is doing every week. Events like Bible studies and breakfasts and church services, Well, if you download the Living Truth app in your app store, you'll always know exactly what's going on at Living Truth in Corona. The app is free, so download it today. But I still want to invite you to come out because there's no substitute for fellowship. So come on out to tomorrow night's service, and we're going to be getting into the book of Job. We'll have a wonderful time of worship. We'll get into the Word of God, and we also have a great time of fellowship, a time of koinonia following the study. Living Truth in Corona is located at 1009 Arsenal Way in the city of Corona, Living Truth Christian Fellowship. Tomorrow night's service is at 7 p.m. You and your family are cordially invited, and we hope to see you out here, and I'd love to meet you personally. So come on out if you can make it. That would be awesome. Now be sure to listen to Walk in Truth tomorrow as I will conclude my introduction to the book of Revelation, this exciting book. There's some meaty stuff tomorrow, so don't miss out. Tell a friend about what you're hearing. Invite them to listen as well. And God bless you. We'll see you then. Thanks for listening to Walk in Truth, encouraging you to reach out with God's truth to all people.